you have a copy of God's Word, turn to Genesis, the 16th chapter. There is the text of the sermon in a bulletin insert with some incomplete notes on the reverse side of that sheet where you can uh, complete those points. You can also make points of your own personal Bible study. Uh, when I study the Bible, uh, I use two punctuations, an exclamation point and a question mark when I take notes because all things mean this is something you can't argue with, this is something you need to apply, this is the focus, exclamation point. This is something other I need to understand more, I don't understand why, uh, this needs further study, question mark. So learn how to use uh, those two punctuation points in your note. It'll make a difference in whether you ever look at it again, whether you ever do anything with the notes that you take. Um, some people are not note takers. Uh, I'm not standing in judgment of those people, but I do understand that ability that you, you have taken what you have heard, you have given it some consideration, you've put your thought down on the paper, and then there's a whole lot of people take notes and never revisit them. I would suggest you revisit those notes. Look at them as you study and you read God's word because oftentimes we hear a sermon and we, we're listening for different reasons or there might be distractions that have us uh, not listening uh, very carefully. But it's something about when you take that time in your personal day, uh, perhaps at your bedside or at your easy chair or at a break table, when you open up God's word and you see your notes, that you then, it's no longer a matter of Pastor David said this, it's a matter that God has, has moved somehow in my thought processes right here and I need to see what it is that he will say to me. So learn how to take notes that way. We've entitled this morning's sermon, Road Closed, Detour. Well, in Martin County, I guess we better get used to it. There's a bunch of those little orange cones everywhere, aren't there? I tell you, Highway 17 is going to be like an obstacle course uh, before long. But there will come a time when somewhere it will say road closed detour, which means the plans that you had, the destination, how you were going to get there, time considerations, all those things are completely thrown out when you pull up to one of those interruptions in your travel that say road closed detour. In fact, I have been some places where the detour took me to places I didn't know existed. When I was in Beaufort County, on the uh, eastern end of the county, uh, sometimes those detours would take you through a field. You'd leave the pavement, you'd go on gravel and dirt roads and say, surely they don't mean for us to go this way. And I have been places where the GPS is no help, and you have to say simply, I sure hope they know what they're talking about when they plan this detour. You know, life has those kind of interruptions too. Uh, my life has gone nothing the way I planned it. And uh, I'm even careful about the things that I plan about the future uh, because there can be these interruptions that change everything. The factors, uh, the individuals that are in your lives, the way that you support yourself, your finances, your health, all of that can be completely thrown away uh, your destination is unsure. How long is this going to take? 
How scenic will it be? What level of anxiety will it increase in my life? Life is like that. Uh, my life was planned on a different course, and certainly I planned my life that it would be a graduating to the point where I'd be successful and financially secure and skinny and good-looking. None of that worked out. I mean, the idea is, is that there is these interruptions, and this is par for the course, exactly what God had planned. And then we are brought this individual, the father of our faith, Abraham. We're studying him on Wednesday nights, and we'd like to encourage you to come to that. But even here on this Sunday morning at this time, we're going to sit down here. I want you to understand this is a man at the point where this is read who is 99 years old. I'd be thinking about a lazy boy in a remote control, wouldn't you? A nice fire in the fireplace. Don't disturb me with drama. His life is full of it. Here's what it says in verse 1. Now, Sarai's, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. And so Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. Notice what it says here. I like the very short sentence. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Sounds like a good idea. Hmm. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went in to Hagar. She conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Sarai. Well, isn't that what she suggested? I mean, you suggested this happen, but now it's happened. You don't like it. Verse 5. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. This is drama. So Abram said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Abram, from his lazy voice, says, Well, if you don't like her being here, get rid of her. Boy, we're talking about a man of true character. Number one, he knew the promises of God. Then when Sarai's not happy, give her whatever she wants. It doesn't matter what God promised. And then when it creates conflict in his house, he says, just don't bother me. Handle the situation. Hagar, poor Hagar. She, pregnant, decides to leave. Now, verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid. 
Where have you come from? Where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. And here's where our text is at. This is where we're looking for the points of application. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress. Submit yourself under her hand. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? God bless the reading of his word. What a story. This is in the Bible. And you almost feel like it should be, it should be rated at least PG, if not R. I mean, this is... This is, you're talking about skeletons in the closet. You're talking about dark truths of people that we hold as the father of our faith. That this was going on in his household. He's 99 years old. Say it with me. He should have known better. But no, he goes down that path and he's just following the path of least resistance. He's got, he's got a fine house, he's got a fine wife, he's got money, he's got children, he's got the respect of the community, he's just living life. He's had a promise for 25 years that God would supply him a child promise, that he would be a blessing to all the nations. He's been listening to Sarah, who feels the shame and the intrigue of everyone who's going, how is she going to have a child? And she's going through this constantly when she goes into the community. Are you feeling okay? Are you craving anything? She's, she's must be cursed. So she comes up with a plan. Are there any planners in the group? People who say, I know how we can get this done. Has anybody ever said, it's better to have a plan, even if that plan doesn't work, than to have no plan at all? She says, it is legal. Uh, Ethics-wise, it's accepted in the community. We have this Egyptian handmaiden. She's of childbearing years. She's attractive. If you produce a child through her, that will be your heir. I'll be off the hook. I'm 99 years old. They don't have any maternity dresses I like. She says, this is the plan. Abram, in his spiritual leadership role that he's been given, God spoke to him directly. He says, nothing. He just says, 
Sounds like a little bit of fun. Sounds as if this be pleasing and will kill two birds with one stone. Seems to be practical. It doesn't mess with my plans. There's no risk involved in it. If it doesn't work, nothing's lost. So they take that path. She conceives a child. But then there's jealousy in the household. Uh, some of that mistrust had taken place by the way Abraham had treated her in the past. We are going to look at this well-known story this morning. We are not just going to talk about how despicable it is. We're not just going to rehearse it so we know the details. We're actually going to look at this from a perspective that the author intended for us to look at it. We're going to look at this from Hagar's perspective. Whoa. Yeah. You know, if we look at the situation, everybody in the room agrees this was wrong. It was dead wrong. It was foolish. When old people were acting this way. What if you're Hagar? She had no choice. She's a slave. She's property. She had to do it in order to live, to survive. She did what she was called to do. She's pregnant. Now the one who told her to do it hates her. She's been wronged. There was a reason why Hagar should be upset. Now, aren't you upset for her? You know, when we start thinking about the Palestinians, when we start thinking about the Arab nations and Islam, when we start thinking about them and going, those are some mean and evil people. It's justified. They've been wronged. See, this is the way you read the scripture. Maybe you can't see it from the big view of today, but reduce it to where it happened. Hagar is the only innocent person in the story. And she has, there are two things and many of you face, particularly if you have anger issues. There's fight or flight. You can stay and fight, hurt somebody, or you can run and save yourself. She does what is logical. She says, I need to get out of here. This is not going to turn out well. Just wait till I have this child. I got a young life to think about. So she starts heading down Highway 17. Getting out of Dodge. She goes. Does Abram get up out of his lazy boy? No. He created the situation. 
Does Sarah say, no, that's wrong. I'm wrong. I, I'm sorry. I was just into my emotions. Come back here. We'll go get a tiny house and put it in the backyard or something. We, we got to fix this. No. They let her go. Who chased her down? The angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord says, I know where's a piece of property. I'll make a way for another family in the neighborhood. I'll do something to make it right. You have been wrong. No, he told her to do what? Go back. And he didn't just say go back. He used another nasty word, submit, not to Abram, but to Sarah. The one who had done you wrong. Who brought you into her own drama. The angel of the Lord said, do it. Then Hagar's response. I'm going to refer to you as the God who sees me. Who understands me who knows me, who gets me. That's exactly what she sees God has revealed himself to be. It's somebody who understands the nastiness of the situation and the dysfunction and the being wronged. You see it. You understand it. Now, I don't understand why you're telling me to go back and why you're telling me to submit myself to the situation. And then did you notice also he says, you're going to produce a child. And guess what? This child is going to have a hard life. He's going to hate everybody. And everybody's going to hate him. But don't worry. I'll provide for you. Hmm. None of this makes sense. You agree with me? None of this fits what I would want God to do in this situation. But Abram made a decision. Sarah made a decision. This is, this is a chapter in Abram's life and Sarah's life that's going to continue to punish them the rest of their lives. It's going to create dysfunction. It's eventually going to affect an entire culture. And as you know, everything that goes on in the Middle East, why are we worried about what's happening in the Middle East? It impacts the entire world. It is actually going to play out in the end in the Armageddon conflict. And it began because Sarah decided I'm tired of this mess. I got a better plan. An easier plan. Something with a little higher probability than follow God. There are some things we see here in this text. And as I said, the, on your note sheet, there are some opportunities to complete those statements. But the first truth that we see is when you've been wrong. And many of you have been wronged. Being wrong does not give you permission 
to talk, run your mouth, and act any way you want. Just because you've been wronged, it's a well-known story we've just rehearsed, but not a well-remembered lesson, because the angel comes and says, I got you, but you still got some things you have to do. I'm not through with you in Abram's household yet. I'm, I, I need you to go back. Well, God, the best thing for me is get out of here. No, the thing I need you to do is go back. Stay in place. She's, uh, she's been wrong. She's lost her home, family, security. God says, go back home because that's where I'm going to provide that for you in Abram's household. Now, there's also something else that's here and implied in the text which is often difficult to apply in real life situations. You know, that's when real Christianity takes place, when it's not just singing hymns, it's not just having cliches and Christianese when we speak, it's not about believing in heaven, but when you have been wrong, that's when your true Christianity shows itself. That's when it shows itself. Jesus and all the things that he said when he lived on the earth, he could have completely blown it out if he had been vindictive and vengeful against Judas. How you act when you are wronged determines whether you're on board with what God's plan is. Uh, don't judge people. Don't talk to them about how you have been wronged, talk to God about it. Because in the true reality is we have taken the story apart. Nobody really knows who's actually responsible for the situation. I mean, Sarah can say, Abraham's mistreated me. trying to figure out who's responsible for this. You know, we spend a lot of time being angry and bitter about past wrongs. In fact, one of the things you can say about a young child when they grow up, it's not long before they learn this phrase, it's not fair. No, life's not fair. You ever said that to one of your kids? Life's not fair. Well, guess what? As a Christian, I need to tell you this morning, life's not fair. Uh, what God is saying to Hagar is, I know, it's not fair. But this is what you've been handed. This is where I'm going to use you. You have a role to play. You remember there was one particular situation in the Bible where Jesus uh, was brought a blind man. Uh, to heal, and one of the Pharisees, that's the people that want to talk about what's fair and has a religious education, they brought uh, the blind man to Jesus and they thought they would use it to trap Jesus, and one of the questions they asked was, did this man sin? Is that why he's blind? 
Or was it his mother or his father? Did they sin? Remember the story? And then what Jesus said, that you and I need to pull from the encounter. It's the whole reason for the miracle. This man was blind so that God could be glorified. Hagar has been wronged so God could be glorified. I, I'm not interested in God being glorified. I want what's fair. I want what's right. I want my life not to be interrupted. No, what has happened to you is that God may be glorified. I, I know you can write that down in your note sheet, and you might be doing that right now, but that's one of those things you've got to meditate on. That's one of those things you're going to have to ask God to help you understand it, help you to learn this principle, that the things that happen to me that are wrong and unfair are to bring him glory. Doesn't make sense, does it? We want to know whose fault is this? Who do we tag this with? Who should pay for this? No. Abram, the father of our faith, the one who leads off the list in Hebrews, the 13th chapter, as this is the example of faith, he couldn't run for office, or maybe today he could run for office. <laughs> He's got some skeletons in his closet. He's got some dark cover-ups. He's, he's got some wrong, some dysfunction. But he learned faith. Hagar, who was the mother, if you will, of the problems we have today, who was the father? Abram. This is, this, is, uh, this is pivotal in, in our studying the scriptures to see that this person we hold up and say, this is how we live our lives, he made some bad mistakes. And there are victims. Hagar. But we need to examine what it is that the angel told her. We need to put our focus on verses 9 through 13. The angel of the Lord said, remember who you are. You're Hagar, made servant to Sarai, placed in his household to serve faithfully. And that's where you get your security, your sense of family. Remember who you are. And then he basically says, don't forget your role. I haven't released you from it. Boy, that's powerful. I know it's painful. I know it's wrong. I know it's unfair. But that's where I got you right now. Go back and fulfill your role. No matter how smart you are, no matter how intuitive you are, no matter how many survival skills you got, this is where I got you. In this unfair situation, where you're the blunt of jokes, stares, wagging fingers, this is where I got you. 
This is where you're supposed to be. Tell you, the text is harder than you thought it was, isn't it? That I'm going to lead you into a place of difficulty. Uh, we're there in this valley of being wronged, that we learn to walk in peace, that we learn how to forgive, where we learn discernment. Wouldn't have learned that if we hadn't been put in a situation where we had to learn it. You know, I, I often think about that. As I said, my life's gone nothing like I thought it should go. There have always been turns, detours, road out. There have been times I've had that flight mentality. I don't want to live in this situation anymore. I don't want to put up with this. I'm going to hit the road. But the angel of the Lord said, this is where I got you. You still have a role. You know, a lot of us complain about the government and our culture, politics, economics. But at the end of the day, listen to me carefully, God says, I've got you covered. That's where I'm going to provide for you. If you run away to what you deem to be a better situation, I can't bless you there. But if you stay where I put you, even in the midst of all that mess, I will provide for you. I will cover you. I will use you. I will sustain you. That's a powerful lesson. There's a path God wants you on. Don't take a detour. Don't take it. You know, I'm real proud of the ones that are here. You know why? Because maybe months down the road, there will be a mixture of people in the congregation here on Sunday morning. But you ought to be proud of yourself. You didn't abandon where God placed you. You stay put. Because if you had abandoned ship and it wasn't in God's plan, you would be expecting God to bless you there when he wanted you here. Uh, here's the truth, and, and, and maybe write it in your note sheet and say, I'm not sure the pastor's right on this, but I'm going to investigate it. The blessings of God have a location. The blessings of God have a location. If you're not in the location, you don't receive the blessings. If you choose a different path, you put yourself outside of the ability of God to bless you. Not because he can't, because he won't. Because he blesses obedience. So when you stay right where God has placed you, even if it's tense, pressure-filled, 
If there are things that are unfair about it, maybe you feel like you're being mistreated, but you stay where God told you to stay, God will cover you, bless you, use you. Promise. I've recorded this, and I probably ought to mark it. There may be some days I need it <laughs> myself to remember what it is that God is saying in this passage. The second thing that the angel said, the, the angel of the Lord said, remember where you're at, and then he says, don't forget where you are going. In other words, there's a big picture. We often make decisions when we decide to run, take flight, give somebody a piece of our minds to, to act out. We forget who we are and where we're going. God's going to get us there. He takes us down some interesting paths sometimes. I mean, even the children of Israel, they were disobedient, so they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. But did they get to the promised land? Yes. Uh, they got in the promised land and they were disobedient to God, so there was an exile, so they were gone. Did God bring them back to the promised land? Yes. They were scattered all over the world. Listen to this. Hitler comes along, brings all the Jewish population together, puts them in concentration camps. Horrific things happen. Where are they at now? In the promised land. Your destination is sure. You've got to learn to trust where it is he wants you. That's where the blessings are at. The last thing the angel said. The angel of the Lord said, humble yourself. Go back and submit. Humble yourself because you're missing the blessing where you're at. How hard it must have been for Hagar, after having run away, to turn around and go back. God expects her to do that. That's humbling. And then to go to Sarai, who has wronged you and talked about you and said, send her out. Go back and serve her with a smile. Nobody can make you do what you don't want to do. So that means in order to do what God's told you to do when it's hard, you have to be the one who humbles yourself and does it. Humility is not some sort of uh, quality about us that we get naturally. It's certainly not a quality some of us uh, have in our natures to go back and do what God told you to do and not worry about what somebody says or how they treat you. You just know who you are, where you're going, and so you decide to go back and do what it is that God told you to do, and you're not going to worry about it. We call it eating crow in the South. She had to eat crow, had to humble herself. 
one of the things that I would charge you with is the idea she was not instructed to go back and make Sarah apologize. Make her humble herself. It's not in the text. You just go back, do what I told you to do. I've got a plan. Your life's going to be hard. You're going to have to learn how to listen to me. Yes, this is an interesting turn. Things have changed. Chapter, page, turn. But you follow me. Because blessings are at a geographic location. It's not your job to humble others. That's the text. Now, the application. Are you prepared for unfair things to happen in your life? Maybe they already are going on. Things you say, surely this is not what God intended. Life is full of crises, tragedies, unexpected events, disappointments. That's life. The Christian witness is judged against those things. How faithful will you be to God? How obedient will you be? You know how many times in the Bible it talks about grumbling and complaining and whining? It's in there a lot, isn't it? It always creates anger from God when we whine and we complain. Hagar's revelation is, is that God knows your troubles and he can handle you talking bluntly and honestly with him. What he doesn't want you out there doing is losing your testimony and falling with the ability of God to use you in a situation. That's something other I face a lot. Somewhere in some of the events that are occurring in your life, there's going to be a chapter you don't enjoy. It's just life. Will you have the peace? Because this text that we just read kind of ends on a, I consider to be a positive note. She's relieved. She says, God really knows me, really understands me, knows how I've been done wrong. I don't know how he's going to fix this, but I'll leave it up to him. She's got a peace of mind. You know, some of us have experienced a lot of losses. Loss of children. To death. Unexpected. Lost a spouse. Lost a parent. Lost relationships. One question that you need to ask yourself, all right, God, how are you going to be glorified in this? It's not pleasant to me. Make me aware of your presence. Every day we spend on this earth, regardless of what health we're in, what mental state we're in, 
It's for God's glory. Your peace is with your resignation to the idea that you humble yourself and commit yourself to God's will to use you where you are at. He'll remove you when it's time. He'll put you where he needs you because if we follow the story of Abram, there is a time for Hagar and Ishmael to leave. God shut the door. But make sure it's God shutting the door and not you running away from an uncomfortable situation. You know, suicide, it's not a, uh, it's not a comfortable subject. And a lot of people consider it to be the unforgivable sin. It's not. That came from Catholic understandings about being able to take uh, communion or sacraments. It's not. It is sin. Let me tell you why it's a sin. You didn't choose to stay where you're at so God could use you. Your own comfort, your own peace, your own sanity is more important to you than serving God. Stories told a man who climbed a hundred-story building found an open balcony, decided he was going to end his life by jumping off the 100th story to the cold, hard concrete below. Of course, it takes a while to fall 100 stories, as you can imagine. And so he made the leap and his arms are spread. There's this moment of regret. What have I done? How final it is. There's this desire to call on God for faith and say, God, God, save me. Then God says, at story 50, I forgive you. I'll see you in 3.6 seconds. And when you meet your maker, the question will be, why can you trust me? Why can you trust me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I've been here for a little while now. Eventually, I'll stop mentioning that. But I just want to keep you aware that we've not hit full stride yet at our church. And even my preaching is measured for where I'm standing at at this moment in my relationship with you. But one thing that I need to quickly get to as a pastor is you trusting me with your dilemmas in your own personal life. Uh, that's actually a, a source of being a pastor and not just preaching on Sunday morning. Is to be there alongside you to help guide you through the things that haunt you, 
that bother you, that irritate you, that cause you great discomfort, things that grieve you. And the sermon this morning is a basis for counseling. God sometimes sends you back into a situation so that you can learn to listen to him. When it has served that purpose, he'll bring you out. It was Charles Stanley who said this one time, and I took notes myself on his sermon when he said this, if the purpose of adversity is to teach, the thing we have to say to the Lord is, I'm ready to learn. <laughs> because until we learn what it is we need to learn in the valley of of wrong and being wronged and unfair, the sooner we learn the lesson and learn to control things and allow him to handle it, the sooner we can be removed from it. 